Bible reading is taken from Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Welcome to Church at Home. My name is Simon Clegg and I'm the pastor of St Barnabas Bible Church here in Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, if you're with us for the first time, we are delighted that you've joined us and I do hope by the grace of God that our study this morning will be an encouragement to you, uh, even as you continue in fellowship with your local church. Uh, we're currently in a series in the Gospel of Mark and uh, in our series we've seen again and again that Mark's account of the life and ministry of Jesus is giving us a firm place to stand in the current crisis and we're going to see that again this morning. Now if you have questions I do want to encourage you to uh, talk to one of the team and uh, to arrange that all you need to do is visit our website www.sbbc.org.za and on the home page there's a contact tab for you to leave your details and one of the team we'll get back in touch with you during the week. But now as we begin, I'm going to pray and ask for God's help uh, using words at the end of Psalm 139. The psalmist says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Well, the journey to our holiday destination was 40 miles by ferry across the open sea. Uh, the sign said that the ferry could carry up to 500 passengers and the clue that something might be a bit off was that only five other people joined us on the boat. The day before, there had been a great storm. Uh, all flights to the islands had been cancelled, but the next morning the wind had calmed down and we thought it would be safe to take the ferry. But as soon as we left the harbour, huge waves started throwing the boat around like a child's toy, 
and they continued to do that for the rest of the journey. It was uh, an unforgettable experience and uh, one particular member of the family refused to leave the island until the airport reopened. Now, of course, we should have known better uh, because after a big storm, it always takes several days for the sea to become calm again. Now, everybody knows that. And that's what makes the miracle in our passage this morning so astonishing. In Mark chapter 4, verse 39, Jesus rebukes the wind and he says to the waves, quiet, be still. Immediately the wind dies down and it's completely calm. Not three days later, immediately. No more wind and no more waves. It is an astonishing miracle. But what on earth does it mean? Of course it's a very familiar story and I guess many of us have heard the kind of sermon that says are you in rough seas at the moment? Well don't worry, uh, Jesus is with you in the boat. Now of course there is uh, more than a grain of truth in that but I think it does miss something of the majesty of Christ and it's in danger of being rather shallow. So in my preparation this week I was greatly helped by one of the commentators who points out that in these seven verses there are three unanswered questions. The first is in verse 38, don't you care? The second one in verse 40 is, don't you trust me? And the third in verse 41, who is this? And uh, to help us remember these questions so we can talk about them usefully together during the week, I've turned them into three M's. So there is the mortality question in verse 38, where the disciples come to Jesus and say, don't you care that we're about to die? Then there is the maturity question, where Jesus asks them, do you still have no faith? And then there is the messianic question, where the disciples say, who is this? Now, not only do these three questions require us to think, uh, but they're also closely related to one another. So, if you get who Jesus is, well, that's a miracle. If you put your trust in him, that's another miracle. And then you'll find it less difficult to recognise his care for you. Now, all of us, of course, are experiencing a great storm at the moment. Uh, it's a health storm. And the health storm has stirred up all kinds of other storms as well. And for that reason, you and I are going to need to take these questions seriously. Who is Jesus? Have I put my trust in him? And therefore, am I growing in confidence that he really does care for me? And can I suggest that in the coming weeks and months, you and I are going to have to work through this sequence of questions again and again and again. Let's begin this morning with the third of the questions, the messianic question, because it is, of course, the most important. Who is this? Verse 41. Now, can I ask you, how would you answer that question? If you were in the boat with the disciples and uh, they called out in a loud voice together, who is this? What would you say? Can I remind you, first of all, that Jesus is the teacher? The whole of chapter 4 has been about his teaching. 
whoever inserted the chapter divisions decided to include this particular miracle at the end of the teaching in chapter 4 he didn't put it in chapter 5 which is all miracles now you remember that uh, Jesus has been teaching and that his message is like seed which gets scattered and brings in a great harvest and uh, it's a harvest that's going to grow by divine power and it's going to grow from a tiny seed into a great tree it's a very confident piece of teaching isn't it now why am I telling you this well I'm telling you of course because it's true he is the teacher but the reason I'm emphasising it this morning is because the passage begins in verse 35 with the two little words that day in other words the same day that Jesus taught them he took them out on the lake the very same day that Jesus taught them about the unstoppable seed and the invincible kingdom he said let's go out on the lake so I want you to picture this in your mind Jesus has been teaching all day he's been teaching about the invincibility of the kingdom uh, that the word, the gospel can never be stopped the kingdom will go forward it's beyond the forces of evil to stop it God's plan can't be overturned and uh, no doubt the disciples are listening and uh, they're beginning to nod uh, we know this yes we've heard it before we get it so Jesus says ok well let's leave the lecture room and let's go on a field trip let's do something practical let's cross the lake and you can imagine the disciples can't you saying well ok that's fine everything's under control let's cross the lake but within minutes the disciples are saying no everything is not under control it's all over now all day you see as they've been listening to the teaching they've been saying yes 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 but then out on the lake it's no, no, no and that's a very normal reaction isn't it when trouble comes into our lives that's completely beyond us you know we can sing songs that express tremendous confidence in God we can listen to the sermon uh, we can nod, we can say we completely agree and then we find ourselves waiting for the results of the medical test and everything that we've been thinking and saying is quickly forgotten that's how it is for me and I'm sure it's how it is for you too and as we worry about our health and about our jobs and about our children and our finances all the doctrine just goes straight out of the window to make the point even clearer uh, just look with me for a moment at verse 36 because verse 36 says they took Jesus along just as he was and that's a rather odd phrase isn't it what does it mean well remember will you that he'd been preaching in the boat he'd been using the boat as a pulpit and I think the idea is that uh, Jesus finishes the teaching and without even leaving the pulpit they set out across the lake where the disciples will be tested to see how much they really have learned have the disciples really understood the teaching 
And I think it's safe to say that the storm is Jesus' idea. And I say that because a thousand years before this, Psalm 107 describes this event perfectly. Because Psalm 107 and verse 23 and following say this, Some went out onto the sea. The Lord stirred up a tempest. Their courage melted away. They cried to the Lord. He stilled the storm. The waves were hushed and he guided them to a harbour. So the psalm says the Lord stirred up the tempest. And it seems that after teaching them, Jesus decides to test them. He's testing them with a serious storm. The waves are coming into the boat and these men, uh, some of them very experienced fishermen, think they're going to die. So notice this. Serious teaching is followed by serious testing. The second thing to say about Jesus here is that he is the believer. He's the teacher. He's the believer. Now that might sound like a rather strange thing to say about Jesus. But you see, it says in verse 38 that Jesus was sleeping. That almost seems like an irresponsible thing for him to be doing under the circumstances. And some people might say, well, he's sleeping because he's human, he's tired, and here we see the humanity of Jesus as well as his divinity. That may well be true. And it may well also be that there's an echo of Jonah in this story. You know what happened. Uh, Jonah was rebellious to God's command. He ran away. He got caught in a storm. He was sleeping in the boat and uh, he had to be thrown overboard and immediately God stilled the storm. And by contrast here, here's someone who is utterly faithful to God's word and he's asleep in the boat in a storm. But he's not going to be thrown overboard. In fact, he's going to throw the storm overboard. Well, there may be something in that too. But I wonder if the real reason that Jesus is sleeping is because he's the believer in God's word. The word that has just been spoken and which Jesus says is unstoppable. That word is so unstoppable that it means that a person can sleep or wake and the word will still go forward. Jesus has just said that back in chapter 4 and verse 27. Please look it up later. Because here, just a few verses further on, Jesus is asleep because he knows the word will go forward. And I wonder if that is perhaps the real reason Jesus is sleeping here. It's because he's the believer. He sleeps because he trusts. And of course he's the controller. He's the teacher. He's the believer. He's the controller of the entire situation. Uh, the disciples wake him up because they're terrified. And in verse 39 Jesus stands up and does what only God can do. He speaks to the wind and to the waves. And uh, just as God in Genesis spoke and brought creation under control, so here Jesus speaks and brings creation under control. And he does this because he's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He's God in the flesh. He's the King. 
In Psalm 65 we read, It's only you, Lord, who can still the roaring sea. And Psalm 89 says, It's only you, Yahweh, who rules the sea and stills the waves. And here is Jesus doing it in his world. So if you have a lower view of Jesus, and many people do, they say he's just a teacher, uh, he's just a religious leader, well, this miracle, I think, blows that way of thinking out of the water. So here we are, face to face with the great messianic question, who is this? And the answer is, he is the majestic God who's come in the flesh, demonstrating his character and power to the world. So I want to ask you again this morning, do you know who this person is? Do you know that he is the Messiah, the King, the Son of God, God in the flesh? And you see, he is that person, whether I believe in him or not, and whether you believe in him or not. And that's a very good reason for believing in him. And the proof that you do believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, is that you have surrendered to him. Like the wind and the waves here, you've put yourself under his control. And not only have you surrendered to him, but you also have a healthy fear of him. You know, the Bible says that people who have no fear of God, no fear of Christ, are fools. That's what the Bible says. And it always worries me when people are utterly casual about Jesus. And I can only assume that they're either not converted or that they're in a very unhealthy place spiritually. Because we are meant to have a healthy fear of Jesus Christ. He is amazingly great. And we're also meant to praise him because if we've come to see that he is the Messiah and we've come to place ourselves under his leadership, that is a miracle. Uh, we should be very grateful and we should be seeking to honour him. So that's the messianic question. Now the second question, which of course is related to it, is the maturity question. Have you put your faith in him? Or, as Jesus says it in verse 40, do you still have no faith? So, again, how would you answer that question? If you were there in the boat and Jesus had looked at you and said to you, have you no faith, what would you say? Would you say, yep, you're right, I have no faith? Or would you say, no, I really do have faith? That seems like rather a harsh question to be asking the disciples as the boat is filling up with water. I mean, why would you uh, turn to drowning men and uh, say something like, come on, man up? But of course Jesus is not really saying that. He's simply asking them, do you trust me? You've been trusting me in the easy times. Can you trust me in the difficult times? Have you not learned that I can be trusted? And he might have said something like this. Uh, earlier, when the people were bringing their sick and demon-possessed folk to me, did you see me struggle with any of their problems? Was there any situation that they brought to me that was too big for me to handle? No, there wasn't. And uh, when I was teaching, 
did you get the impression that I was rather nervous about the plan? He might have said to the disciples, did you uh, get the impression that I was presenting the kingdom as a rather risky option? No, you didn't. Well, why don't you trust me? Have you, how is it that you've got no faith? And it's true, isn't it, that uh, we can be real Christians, but sometimes we just don't get it. We just somehow fail to grasp it. One of the uh, Gary Larson cartoons shows a husband and wife lost in a vast empty desert with the sun beating down on them. And uh, the husband is looking at the map and he says to his wife, you know, you were right. It was left at the supermarket. You see, he just hadn't got it. He didn't listen. His wife gave him the right directions, but he didn't listen. And sometimes we, as Christians, don't get the right priorities. So sometimes you will hear the ministry team say something like this. Being with God's people is probably more important than going for a hike, or catching up on sleep, or going to the beach. And some people will say, yes, uh, we get it, but they go to the beach anyway. More seriously, uh, there are people who just don't get the person of Jesus Christ, that he has to be trusted if you're going to be rescued. A couple of years ago, there was a video on YouTube of a surfer And there he was on the waves and uh, he suddenly caught sight of a huge shark uh, just a few feet away. So he swam back to his jet ski as fast as an Olympic athlete. And he literally threw himself onto the jet ski and uh, the, the relief on his face was indescribable. He didn't seem to know whether to laugh or cry. Now when a person wants to become a Christian you have to throw yourself onto Christ. You have to throw yourself onto Jesus. And you've got very good reasons to throw yourself onto Jesus. Because if you have sinned in any way, if there's been a wrong thought, a wrong word, or a wrong deed, or a thousand of them, or even ten thousand of them, or even only one, That sin has separated you from God. And because that sin has separated you from God, there's nothing that you can do to bridge the gap. And if you stay in that condition to the end of your life, you'll suddenly find yourself in a separation that can never be bridged. And the just judgment of God will land on you and you will be dismissed from his presence forever. Now that is a very, very good reason for taking the jet ski of Jesus seriously and for throwing yourself onto him. But some people just don't get it. They get everything else except the one thing that really, really matters. And you can test whether you've taken Jesus seriously by how much you make of him. You can test whether you've taken Jesus seriously by whether you thank him for his rescue. And of course, Jesus not only needs to be trusted for salvation, but he needs to be trusted in the trials and tests and difficulties of our lives. 
and we have to come to the point again and again and again of saying to Jesus, look, I'm completely out of my depth here. I've got no solution to this and I'm trusting myself and my circumstances entirely to you. Now you will know people, as I do, who are really, really battling at the moment. Uh, They're battling with serious illness, uh, they're battling with financial worries, they're battling with bereavement. And how can they do their trusting when their emotions are literally all over the place? Well, the answer to that is we have to come back to the three questions in this passage and say, who is this person? Jesus Christ. Answer, he is the God of power and love in charge of the world. And have I trusted him for my salvation? And am I now needing to trust him in this particular test? Yes, I am. And then, of course, that might help us more and more to answer the question of whether he really does care for me. See, the more we think about the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the promises of Jesus, the more we will find ourselves saying, yes, he does really care. And you know, this week it struck me in our passage that Jesus actually rebuked the disciples for not trusting him. You know, in our culture today, I don't think it's particularly easy for a Christian to rebuke another Christian anymore. And uh, funnily enough, I don't think it's any easier actually for a pastor to rebuke a Christian in a godly way anymore. But isn't it interesting that Jesus here, with great love for people, rebukes their lack of trust? Because in our passage he says to to his disciples, do you have no faith? And funnily enough, he goes on doing that. In chapter 7 he says, are you so dull? In chapter 8... He says, do you still not see? Again in chapter 8, don't you get it? And again in chapter 9, how long must I wait? Now that is strong language. But you see, it's teaching us that Jesus rebukes those who don't trust him. As if to say, friends, it really is time to wake up. And when you do know who he is, and when you've seen his faithfulness in the past, especially in his life, in his death and resurrection, we're in a much better position to trust him for the present and trust him for the future. So that's his question. Uh, You've trusted me in the past. Do you trust me now? And I wonder if you're able to answer his question and say, yes, I do trust you for my salvation and I am trusting you for the situation I'm dealing with this morning. And that brings us to the last question, which is the mortality question, in verse 38. The disciples asked Jesus, don't you care? Now, how do you answer that? It seems to me that if you're going to be tested, and you might be being tested right now, that if it's going to be a real test, by definition, you're going to be out of your depth. Because a real test is one where you are not in control. Now the storm in Mark chapter 4 is completely beyond the disciples. But it's not beyond Jesus. 
And you'll notice that it's the first miracle in Mark's Gospel that affects the disciples personally. You see, up to this point, all the other miracles and the exorcisms and what have you, they've been for the benefit of other people. And of course, it's not very difficult, is it, when it affects someone else to stay reasonably calm. The real test is when things affect you and you find that you are in a storm of difficulty. That's what Job experienced, wasn't it, in the Old Testament? Do you remember? Job was suffering terribly. But to begin with, his suffering was all external. It was his house, it was his children, it was his crops, it was his flocks. But when it began to affect him, well, that's when the real struggle began. Now, I don't think we're ever going to uh, be able to escape the important framework put before us in Mark chapter 4. Because when we've got a problem and the solution comes to us quickly, we don't grow very much. Uh, In Mark chapter 4, the storm and the solution are very, very close together, aren't they? seems that the solution came just a few minutes after the storm began. But what do you do when you're waiting weeks or months or sometimes years for an answer? That's far more challenging, isn't it? In pastoral ministry, it's always great uh, when the solution to a problem comes quickly. I find that is a real encouragement to my faith. But what do we do when there is a real problem and the solution doesn't come for a very long time? Well, I find that much more difficult. And in those moments, our our religious cliches, our Bible verses, well, they don't seem to have quite the same weight, do they? We certainly need the promises of God, but we have to be honest and say that there are days when the question of whether Christ cares for us is very real. Now, friends, in those times, we'll be greatly helped by going back to the messianic question in our passage. Who is Jesus? And the answer in the Bible is that he is the Son of God, full of power, full of love, full of wisdom, and he can be trusted completely. And then we would be wise to go to the second question. Have I trusted him for salvation? And if that is the case, you see, I can be very confident that he can be trusted with whatever I'm going through at the moment because if he has intervened to take away from us our greatest problem we can be sure that he's interested also in our lesser problems but can I say that above all we need to focus our minds on the intervention Jesus brought when he came into this world and lived a perfect life and died a substitutionary death in order to save us. And I say that because one of the men in the boat that day was the Apostle John. In the storm, he was one of the men who came to Jesus and said, don't you care if we drown? But Jesus hadn't finished with John. And many years later, John was writing to a little church that was going through a tough time. And John said this, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life 
for us. Now what John was saying is that the death of Jesus saves people from the storm of God's wrath. There is no storm greater than that. And we can't be saved in any other way. But Jesus has made a way. And his death defines what true love really is. Because Jesus died for us while we were still his enemies. So does Jesus care for us this morning? John says he's already proved it at the cross. And he proves it today, every time he opens someone's eyes to see who he really is. And he'll prove it again in eternity. When we're going to see that he hasn't lost one of the people who've put their trust in him. Well, will you bow with me and let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for reminding us in this portion of your word of the person of Christ, the Son of God, the ruler of the waves, the one who is full of power, full of compassion. We thank you for bringing so many of us to trust him, to have faith in him for salvation. We pray that you would continue to bring those who are perishing to him this morning for salvation. And we thank you that we found Christ to be faithful in all the challenges and all the pressures we're facing today. We pray that you would fill us with confidence in your ongoing care, that we might be those who testify to the goodness and the greatness that you've shown at the cross and to all the promises that hold fast for the present and the future. And these things we ask for Christ's sake. Amen.